0: Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to uh, the book of Exodus, second book in, her, in the Bible, the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, there are people who are coming up with Bibles right now. And if you don't own a Bible, then would you just throw your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you. Um, if you'd like a nicer Bible, like maybe a leather Bible, check out the Lost and Found. There might be some there, right? <laughs> might be a name in it. Just cross that out. You can write your name in there. All right, just uh, go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word. Go to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter uh, 7 is where we're going to be starting this morning and covering a couple of chapters this morning as we continue in this series in the book of Exodus. As, you, as you're turning there, just a, <clears throat> have you ever been in that place where, where you're doing something, you're you're putting so much effort into it, you're you're trying to complete something, and as you're just about finished doing what you've been working so hard on, someone comes up to you and they says, "Hey, um, you, you realize you're you're doing that wrong, right? You're not actually doing that the way it's supposed to be done." And I'm not really out of choice, but I, I've built most of the house we live in. We, we sort of got to this place where I'm like, I'm going to have to finish this thing. And so we started to build our house. And I am a preacher, not a builder. And so I often say our house was built uh, sponsored by YouTube because I just looked everything up, right? And, and, but there are times in when, I'm, when I was doing stuff, building what I was trying to finish this out on YouTube and figuring it out and going out, that, that one of you guys, who's actually a builder, would come alongside and go, hey, uh, Kai, you're actually not doing that right. Now, in that moment, I've got a few options of what I can do, Right? I can either just just ignore you and just keep on going, right? Now, that, that would end in disaster, right? If I just kept going, like, how bad is it? My plumbing's really not done properly. What, what will really happen, right? Like, it could go bad. So you can't just ignore it, right? Or, or maybe the other thing you could do is I could get angry at the person who's pointing it out. Who do you think you are? Yeah, I know you're right, but, but who do you think you are, right? I was so happy doing what I was doing and then, then you come yeah I know there'll be disaster later on but right now I was so happy doing what I was doing and then you came and you wrecked my happiness or or here's another way I could react when that happens I could be so thankful they pointed out what I was doing wrong so I could finish the job the right way right the text this morning, as we jump in, it's a, it's a text that you can read through what's going on here in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, or sorry, Exodus chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 8. You can read this and think, man, God is such a mean, judgmental, angry God. But it's, it's this part of the Old Testament, it's one of these places where we get the phrase that, that the disaster of biblical proportions, all right, it's stuff like this going on. Was God being judgmental? Is God raining down wrath? Or listen, listen. As we're tracking through this series of the Book of Exodus, what have we seen? God's people are in bondage, in steps into rescue and redeem. And in these next few chapters, we're only going to cover a couple. And this morning, He unleashes what we call the ten plagues on Egypt. We're going to look at a few of them this morning. And as he's unleashing these plagues, he's doing a few things here. He's he's continuing this mission of setting his people free for sure. But there's something going on much deeper than that. There's more happening in these plagues than just God setting his people free. Because think about it, God is the creator of the universe. God could have just stepped in and went, they're free. Snapped his fingers, people of Israel, all of a sudden just sipping mimosas by the pool in promised land, they made it, right? Didn't do that, though. God's accomplishing something more here. He's accomplished something for, for Pharaoh and Egypt. He's accomplishing something for Israel. Listen, for us as well. He's at work and showing us. Look, look at verse 17 of chapter 7. Here's what he's showing us in the plagues. Here's the whole point of the plagues. Verse 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, by this, by these plagues, by this, you shall know that I am the Lord. That's God's main objective here. I want to show you who's rescuing you, Israel. I want to show you who's stepping in to redeem my people, Egypt. God's showing us that he is God. There are no other gods. There are no other treasures as great as he. There are no other joys. There are no other purposes. No other nothing else that can fulfill. There's, there's no other ways to ultimate victory and freedom but God. And so what happens is God, God, in his mercy, he'll start to press in on us, start to press in on our hearts, and he starts to clear away lies that we've been believing. He starts to pull away these false hopes we have, what, what we would call heart idols, these things we worship instead of him, these things that aren't actually bringing us life. And he's saying, hey, what you're building isn't working. Let me correct this for you. And so even in these plagues, listen, listen, even in tough circumstances, even when life is hard, these plagues were brought on by the hand of God, and it's even in these plagues though we see God's mercy. God's not just mean and angry, not just unleashing wrath on helpless humans. Listen, listen, God is serious about sin. God has a wrath towards sin for sure. He's, he's so serious about it, but he's also serious about his mercy and serious about showing us who he really is for his namesake, for his glory. And so often, though, we're like, I, I actually don't want God to show up. I, I don't want God to reveal himself to me. I, 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 I would rather just see him not close to me at this moment. And we, we kind of treat God like you, you get that feeling when you're driving on the highway and a police officer pulls up behind you on the highway. You know that feeling, right? No, because you're all just amazing. You never speed or break the law ever. You're like, oh, I just love it. No, you have this, right? And you kind of t- tense up your hands, t- 10 and three. I'm doing good, right? Don't speed them at good. 105. That's all right. 105, fine, right? And then, then, then when the police officer pulls around you or, or pulls off at that next exit, you're like, oh, right? Why? Why? Because we, we know that a police officer is never going to turn the lights on, pull us over and then say, I just pulled you over because you were driving so good. You're just amazing at driving. No, no, no. And and what happens is, we sometimes think of God like that, that God is all wrath out to get me. and, And if I just lay low in my sin, if I just avoid him right now, maybe he'll just ignore me. But listen, there's nothing good about a God like that. God, just ignore me in my sin. God, just leave me alone right now. Just, just pull off at the next exit. I, I don't want you pressing in. And listen, we miss out then on the loving father heart of our God. God is not just this big cosmic kill joy, but his ultimate goal is to reveal himself to us so that we see that he is where we find our fulfillment. God presses in at times on our sin, presses in and it's uncomfortable, but he's not doing it to make us miserable. When when he sees that uh, that we're building in the wrong way, when he sees that we're building our lives, as Jesus would say, on, on shifting sand instead of on the rock of the truth of who he is, when we're building our lives on lies, God steps in and at times he'll take extreme measures to get our attention. God is not a passive God. He's actively involved in our lives, and that's what's going on here in these plagues where God is stepping in to say, let me reveal who I am. Let me show you that, that hope and joy and peace and salvation is found in me alone, and he's, he's graciously stepping in to reveal, hey, hey, Pharaoh, hear are the lies you believe here's what you've built your life on and and you're building your life on sand and I want to step in, God would say in grace and in mercy with judgment to reveal where this stuff is a lie in your life. Think about if your friend's doing a bad job on plumbing and you let it go, it kind of consequences will happen. Listen, if their life is walking on this path of destruction, it is not gracious for you to see somebody walking towards destruction and just think, "Mm, I hope they figure that out on their own. Well, I hope they sometimes realize, hope they, well, one day they'll get to that addiction, to that, that, that anger, that lust, that, that pride. It's gonna wreck them, but I hope they figure that out. No, no, that's not loving. That's not gracious. What do you do if you're a true friend? You engage, you engage. And so God's engaging here. He's, he's stepping in and he's saying, Pharaoh, there's lots of lies that you're building your life on. You're putting your hope in lies. It's leading to destruction. I wanna reveal to you who I am so my people see who I am. Let's start reading. Look at verse 14 of chapter 7. We're going to look at the first plague here right now. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent, and you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this, shall you, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all the pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh... In the sight of the servants, he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. I mean, God steps in with this first plague, and he strikes right at the very heart of Egypt, right at the very heart of where they would put their hope, the heart of their whole lives. I mean, the Nile was everything to these people. It provided water. It provided food in, in the sense of that's where they would fish, but also once a year, it was this, this thing that would happen every year that the, the Nile would overflow its banks and with that would bring all this amazing soil out over its banks and that's where they would plant their crops. So the Nile brought them everything they needed. So they worshiped the Nile as a God. And remember what God says, I'm doing this so the what so that you would know that I am the Lord. And so right away, God begins to expose these false gods that people were building their lives on. The Nile being the first and foremost, this this God of the Nile, they called this God Happy, H-A-P-I. Happy was this God who, um, how do I put this? Had a bit of a pot belly, all right? And, 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 and some would say that he was a God with a full belly because he was a God who provided everything. So he was full. And now some say maybe it was a God who was pregnant and, and would provide that way. And, and however you want to say it, but this God was a bit, a bit chubby, all right? So next time you're worried about needing to work out and someone says, you should work out. You go, I'm just happy. I'm totally happy, all right? happy, associated with water, with life, with with giving, considered so caring. He he, happy, maintained order in the universe. And so God then goes right after this false God to say, no, 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 no. The heart of your worship, the heart of, of your hope and security, that's not God. I am the Lord. It's not a coincidence that he begins here. He's going to have these 10 plagues unfold, but he starts here at the Nile, and he turns the Nile to blood. Blood, if you look in Scripture, it's this picture of judgment. I mean, you see the same thing in the book of Revelation where it says that the, the seas turn to blood and the, the moon turns to blood. There's this is this imagery of, of judgment, God's judgment. And so he's saying so loudly here in the book of Exodus, I'm the Lord your God. Look at the now, you're, you're, you're God happy. This is the God you worship. This is the God you present offerings to. This is the God you pray to. He goes, I've turned this God into blood. I've judged this God, and I judged them with a stick and a couple of men. One of those guys, this old guy who had been wandering in the desert of Midian for 40 years, and I used him to come and judge your so-called God. Verse 22 goes on but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And Isn't Satan so good at imitating God sometimes? Where Satan steps in and goes, no, 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 I'm your hope. This thing I provide, this this will give you hope. Look what I can do. I, I can give you what you need. It's kind of goofy, though. The magician step in and go, you turned all our water into blood. We still have this water. Boom, it's blood, too. Thanks, magicians, right? Maybe you could step in and help. Maybe you could provide hope for us. But listen, Satan has no power to to solve. Satan has no power to save, nor does he have a desire to do that. He would rather you continue to build on lies because Satan's whole desire for you, for your family, for our church, his whole desire is for destruction. And he'll imitate no solution, though, no hope. And so what do the people do? I mean, do they turn to God? Do they say, God, you're the source of life, not this happy God we've been, we've been worshiping, God. We're gonna follow you as out they do. No, look, look at verse 23, it's so sad. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. Verse 24, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. I mean, what a picture of desperation, is it not? Where God says, I'm the source of life, not this. No, we're going to keep scrounging. We're going to keep digging. The the idol we're worshiping is empty, but there's got to be something here. But listen, that doesn't happen to us. God leads us to to where there's joy and purpose and peace and direction and abundant life. Here's where it's found. It's found in me. It's found in my word. It's found in my presence. It's it's found by abiding in me, in prayer, in worship, in holiness, in the word. And yet how often are we spending our time digging at these other places to drink out of mud puddles? When God says, I've got life here. I've got all the living water you want. Like I'd rather drink out of the mud puddle. I mean, think about how this plays out in our lives. I mean, it starts so early, doesn't it? Where we, where we go after mud puddles. God holds out for us life. I mean, it starts even as kids, right? We, we set up these kind of idols, these things. This will give me hope. Man, if only my folks would buy me this for Christmas. Man, if I had the new gaming system, man, life would be awesome, right? And we kind of make fun of kids. Oh, man, look how silly they are, putting their hope in something so lame. Then we start to get a little older, right? And, and what was your thing? I, it was for me, right? You're, you're turning 16. You're like, well, you're putting your hope in what? Man, if I get my license, Man, I can just get I out. I, I can go wherever I want. I can get out of my house more, man. Then there'll be life, and, and we settle for the mud puddle. And then we get a little older, man. If only I could get into that university. If only I could, could get this job, man. Once I get that job, once I have that, man, life will be so good. And then we're like, man, it's a mud puddle. I need another job. That's what it is. I need a new job. I need something different. Maybe, maybe, a, and we dig a different mud puddle. Well, I know when when I get married, man, as soon as I get married, life will be so good, then a spouse will solve all my problems. (laughs) That's married people giggling there, people, all right? (laughs) Don't giggle too loud. Look straight ahead when you do it. You get married, you realize, wow, that does not satisfy my soul. It, It does not make me happy. What will make me happy? Then I know kids, Kids will do that, right? Kids will bring joy. You're laughing too early. Kids will bring joy. Right? Then we have kids, and then what's our thought? We're like, man, how young can I send these guys to school and get them out of the house, right? (laughs) We're caught in this pursuit of hope and life, and when those gods fail us, rather than turning to the one who promises hope and life abundant, what do we do? We start digging for more mud puddles, Rather than resting in him and his promises, we start to dig around the Nile. I need a new house. I need a new spouse. I need a new toy. I need another vacation. And we wish our lives away in these mud puddles, hoping they satisfy our souls. And then God steps in with mercy. Now listen, sometimes that mercy he steps in with is a severe mercy where he begins to press in on that very thing we're putting our hope in and begins to pull that away from us and life becomes hard as he removes the little gods. Maybe that's where you are right now. God says, I, I wanna pry this from your hands. I wanna, I wanna show you that this is a false God and I'm doing this for your good and I know it hurts. I know this is so painful. I, I know it's not easy, but I do it because I love you because God's saying in me is the only place you'll find satisfaction for your soul. In fact, I love how James chapter one, verse 16 and 17 says that James says this, he says, don't be deceived. Right? Don't, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that happy, the Nile God, is going to bring you satisfaction. Don't believe the lie that marriage, that kids, that money, that a a better house, that a better vehicle, that that whatever. Well, don't don't believe the lie that those will bring you hope. goes on. It says, don't be deceived. Every, here's the truth, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And God's making it so clear here in the, in the plagues. I'm the one who brings hope. I'm the one who provides. And yet, yet we so often go back to the mud puddles and we dig. Like looking for lost keys. We go back to that same drawer, three, four, five. I already looked there. Why am I looking there again? We go back again and again, hoping that there's hope there. Listen, we need to stop looking in the same places that our, that our old self convinces us to look. We need to start pursuing God. Maybe you hear this and you're like, man, I, I, how is that supposed to change in my life? Man, I've been, I've been hurting for this for so long. I'll never be able to be completely satisfied in God. I'm so beyond hope. But listen, Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So this morning, you could begin here just by asking this question, who or what am I trusting in for my satisfaction? for my provision, for my hope. And then you come to Jesus as a busted up, broken town, Nile digging, mud puddle drinking person. And with a, a mouth full of dirty puddle water, you say, I need you, Jesus. I mean, that's our hope. Amen. That's our hope. That's, that's all we have for hope. Everything else is puddle water. And and if, I mean, listen, if you've been there, done that, you've drank from the puddle water before and saw it does not satisfy. Like, give me an amen if you've been there, right? It's only when we see what it is and we stop digging at the side of the Nile, we turn to Jesus for living water. That's where we find our hope. So God, his first blow was to the Nile. He challenges their love of the Nile. He he directly challenges this God. He, He directly begins to say, hey, listen, I'm gonna deliver my people, but I'm delivering through judgment. It's his severe mercy on display in these plagues, but it's getting worse. Look at chapter eight. Then the Lord says to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. And now, listen, it's not just a little bit of frogs. It's not like, hey, there's going to be a few more frogs jumping around, right? You don't even have to use your imagination to figure out, hey, what's this going to look like? I mean, I love how the writer of, of Exodus is saying, I want to make this clear. How many? Fr-. He could have said, and God unleashed a bunch of frogs. But look what he says. Look at verse 3. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. It shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, <laughs> on your bed. I mean, you're like, oh, they're on the floor. Get in bed. Oh, they're in here too, right? And into the houses of your servants and your people and in your ovens and your kneading bowls or in your kitchen, in your bread, right? The frog shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Wow. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So again, the magicians, I'm like, hey, dummies, we already got out of frogs. Stop doing this, right? (laughs) Did you know any frog disappearing tricks? That would be much more helpful, It gets so bad. Look at verse eight. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people and I'll let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. He's like, man, just get rid of these frogs. Do whatever it takes. Plead with the Lord. So Pharaoh's saying, man, this God is is something. This God is is probably greater than these little gods I'm worshiping, man. We got to call out to him to get this to stop. Now you would think that, just a few frogs would be a few frogs too many. But here's the thing what's going on here. You see, in, in Egypt, the frog actually, again, was something they would worship. There was the, this God that had the face of a frog. The name was Heket, right? Later, retranslated as Kermit. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Just imagine somebody not listening very really long going, I think the pastor said Kermit's a God. We got to get home and throw in all those, those movies. The Muppets, we got to get rid of I thought there was something funny about Jim Henson, right? No. I'm joking, the name's Hecat, that's a, this God, and this is a God of fertility. Right? It's, it's now God stepping in and he's saying, hey, hey, that, that little gar, God of yours that, that you say is in charge of multiplication? No, I am. Here's your multiplication. and just multiplies the frogs. It's so like sin, isn't it? And we say, man, I just want a little bit of sin. This feels good. This is helping me a little bit. How quickly that sin multiplies. How quickly what was good becomes out of control. In fact, again, in the book of James, James chapter 1 verse 14 says that that sin will lure us, entice us into believing that it's going to provide for us. No, no, this bitterness will feel good. This anger is so good. This lust will provide. If you step outside of God's will for your marriage, man, you'll find hope out here. Like any good fisherman will tell you, that lure is so attractive until you bite down on it, right? James 1.15 says, Then desire, when it conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, bursts forth death. I've heard it said this way before. I've said it before. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. So what do you do when you look around and you see, man, my life has done that. This this God of frogs, this sin in my life has multiplied so much. What do I do? So Pharaoh goes to Moses and says, man, I'll do whatever you want. Just take these frogs away. Look at verse 9. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I'm to plead for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. He's like, when do you want me to do this? This a remarkable statement by Pharaoh. Look at his response. Verse 10 and he said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Like, are you, are you serious? You've got food. You've got frogs in your food. You've got frogs in your bed. You've got frogs in your clothes. Frogs everywhere. There's this opportunity to get rid of all of the millions of nasty, stinky frogs in one moment, and Pharaoh's one more night with these frogs. Like, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? I'll tell you what, Moses, one more night with these frogs. One more night, and then you could take, now it sounds crazy until what? We look at our own life. We look at the, the frogs in our life, right? The sin that we have, the, the, the frogs of sin or guilt or, or shame or bitterness in our hearts and these idols we hold on to. And God says to us, hey, do you want these gone? We say, how about one more night, God? How about a bit longer in my sin, a bit, bit longer in my bitterness? A bit longer in my brokenness. A bit longer. Like, I'm gonna forgive. I'm I'm going to have a a better attitude. I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to lead my kids. I'm going to pursue help. I'm going to make things right. But tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) And like Pharaoh, like I I can put up with this mediocrity. I can put up with this addiction. I can put up with this sin or this idol that's in my heart. I, I can put up one more day with that. Now, here's the problem with that. The lure of sin doesn't just hold us for one more night. When we say, I'm okay with it for one more night, it leads to more nights. And eventually, fully hooked on the lure, trapped in sin, surrounded by brokenness. And listen, you have to understand something, that Pharaoh's decision to say, hey, let's do it tomorrow, it didn't just impact Pharaoh. It impacted everyone. His family now living with frogs for one more night. The the nation of Egypt now living with frogs for one more night because Pharaoh goes, you know what? I'll deal with it tomorrow. I've said this before, but listen, there are no hidden sins. There are no secret sins. When we decide to spend one more night in our sin, I'm telling you, it's impacting those around you. Husbands, your sin impacts your wife and your family. Wives, your sin impacts your family and your husband. Listen, our sin impacts each other in this church. God's willing to take the frogs out of Egypt as soon as Pharaoh repented. Listen, we have Jesus Christ now saying, hey, I can take away that sin. Lord standing by ready, willing, powerful enough to deal with that sin whenever we're willing to, to let him intervene. And God's saying this question to you maybe this morning when do you want me to take care of those frogs? Don't spend one more night. God steps in and says, I want to deal with these sins. I want to set you free from these idols. And why is that? Look at verse 10, it goes on. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Why did he send the frogs? Why did he take the frogs away? So that we would know there is no one like the Lord our God. God takes away the frogs, but look at verse 15, such a sad verse. God does it, but but when Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And how often is that true in your life? It isn't mine, right? When, when things are tough, when, when things are burning around me, I'm like, God, I need you. God, I need you. When things are good, God, I got this. In the good times, we can forget. We can harden our hearts. So God brings a third plague on them. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. I mean, God steps in. You see what he's doing? He's flipping their world upside down. The God of creation, when you look at creation, who went from darkness and chaos and brought peace and order, he's not saying, listen, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, when you're choosing this, you're reversing creation. You're going from order to chaos. I mean, the last plague, I don't want to spoil it for you, darkness comes, right? It's like everything's going backwards again. He's saying, this is what sin does. The peace, the shalom that God creates in relationship with him, He's saying, in sin, it all gets reversed. Brings these gnats on them. Now, now, uh, that word there for gnats, it could be translated a few different ways. Um, you might have another English translation that says lice. Could be lice. Could be mosquitoes. I don't think any of those is better than each other. Right? It's like, my mean, lice, well, that'd be way better. Not at all, right? You start to start talking about it. are you feeling like, kind of like, oh, man, it gets scratchy, right? Just talking about it, right? These gnats, these lice, and it's miserable. I, I would say maybe this is one of the most annoying of the plagues, for sure. But I think about it. We, we live in this beautiful place called Muskoka. Every time we talk to people who don't live here, they're like, oh, I love vacationing there. It's such a beautiful place, man. And, and they just think about what? Just laying by the lake, going for a boat ride. It's so beautiful. And we're like, yeah, except for May. <laughs> Have you been here in the spring? No, I always come in July. Yeah, exactly, right? Because we go crazy. And I love to barbecue. Don't, don't send me out there in May, though. I'm not flipping burgers, just like, ah, oh, we wear those crazy mesh outfits, or, or, or our kids come in from playing outside, and they walk in, they look like a, a scene from Saving Private Ryan, they're just covered, bleeding everywhere. <laughs> like, what, where are we living? <laughs> and God's stepping in, and he's saying to the Egyptian, hey, all the pleasure you have with where you are, I mean, think about all the pictures you have in your mind about being in Egypt, like people feeding grapes to each other, just lounging around, and God saying, I'm stepping into that. All your pleasure can't bring you comfort. He says, I'm the Lord. Magicians say, we can't even touch this. God's saying, I'm the one who brings comfort to your soul, not these pleasures. Nothing else brings comfort to your soul, to a deep soul level. Goes on, hits this fourth plague, these flies. Verse 20 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, and your servants, and your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You see his power there? Some people would say, well, these plagues, they're just natural occurrences. You see here, even if they were, even if God was using natural ways of doing, it, he's going, yeah, but I'm going to separate. The flies aren't going over here. They're not going on my people. They're just going on you guys. Verse 23, thus I'll put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen, and the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Don't go out, but you can stay here. And Moses said it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will Will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. You hear him still holding on to his his power, holding on to his way, holding on to his heart, idol saying, No, no, okay, you go, not too far. But give me what I need, give me what I want, bring back my comfort. Verse 29, then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. Verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Flies everywhere. Pharaoh's still not convinced. Now, now remember the purpose of these plagues. The purpose of these plagues is, is to show Pharaoh, to show the world that God was the Lord. He's the one in control. He's the one who rescues from brokenness. He's the one who rescues from sin and suffering. So let me ask you this this morning. Where's God at work in your heart right now? Where's he doing that rescuing kind of work for you? Where's he pressing in on idols? Where's he pulling you away from things that you would call God in your life? What lies are you still believing? You see, all these plagues are leading to one truth. And it's a truth we're gonna see later on in the book of Exodus where God lays out his law for his people saying, this is what it means to worship me. And the very first of the 10 commandments is this. He says this, he says, I'm the one who rescued you out of Egypt with with mighty acts. Talk about the plagues. I'm the one who did that. He says, so you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment, but not just the first. All the commandments flow out of that, that I am the Lord. You shall have no other gods but me. Pharaoh refused to be set free. Why? Because he wanted to be his own God. He didn't want to obey even that first commandment. He goes, no, I want to be in control. I want to hold on to what I hold on to. And the lesson for Pharaoh, the lesson for us today is this, is God saying to us, listen, as I press in on your life, understand this, God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. There are so many other ways God could have freed Israel from slavery. But he uses these plagues here, why? Because he's wiping out everything that Egypt would hold on to for security. Everything that made them feel powerful as a nation. Everything that made them feel secure. What it was that defined them as a nation, and so, so God uses these plagues to, to rescue Israel, but he's also using them for this because he wants to tell us, to tell the world, to tell the Egyptians, I am the Lord. These other gods are nothing. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who rescues you out of Egypt. I'm the one full of love and mercy and grace and redemption. But listen, listen, he is exclusively where we find grace and love and hope and redemption and mercy, Exclusively any attempt to get these things any attempt to look for security for fulfillment for hope from anything else man it's not just foolish it's so dangerous for our lives and the lives of those around us when we give ourselves to things like our career, listen, working hard is good. We're called to work hard, to work honestly, but when it becomes a God for us, when the praise of other people and the accomplishments we're getting and the stuff we get to buy because we're working so hard, when we sacrifice ourselves that, listen, we're putting our family and our friends on that idol and that God turns on us and consumes us. If your reputation is your God, and people need to think good about me. What happens when that goes wrong? What happens if you go up to Harvest Kids after the service, and you, and you go in there to, to get your kid, and the, the, the volunteer up there, they look kind of sheepish, and they come up to you go, hey, um, as, I, as I give you your kid back, I just want to let you know that your kid bit another kid in Harvest Kids. What's your reaction at that moment? Listen, if you're serving the God of, of recognition, if you're serving the God of reputation, if, if, if your image is your God, what happens in that moment? What kind of place is as You let kids bite other kids. Do you have policies in place in your home? And you're like, I'm taking some emails. I'm going to send some policies out. This is what you do when kids bite, right? Why? To protect the image. To, to say, this can't be about me. I can't be set up like this. Why? Why? Because the God of image begins to eat you up. All of these false gods, all of them will drive us into the ground as we try to worship them and appease them. And it it sounds so hopeless, but listen, it isn't. The book of Exodus is designed for this purpose, to show you the power of the one true God, The, the God who hears when you call out, the God who delivers when you call out. And he's showing us in these plagues, there's there's nothing else, no one else worthy of your trust and your obedience more than him. And and he alone is the one who can set you free. The amazing news of Jesus is that that he can deliver you. He can fix that idle factory of your heart. He can take care of that. So what do we do? Well, it comes from us seeing again the truth that he's the Lord. He's the creator of all. He's above all. He's through all. He's in all. It's all about him. And so, so what do we do? We fully surrender again to that and we experience the, the joy of that relationship with him. Why? Because we're repenting and believing again. And listen, it's a daily act. You never grow past, well, I'm so mature, I don't need to repent and believe anymore. I got this dialed. It'll never get there, all right? From now until we see him face to face, we'll be wrestling. It'll be a battle on some days, a battle to get to a place where I have to believe this. I have to repent again today. There are seasons, there are are situations, there are times when, when believing this is going to be a fight. And so what do we do? We dig into his word. We grab others around us who understand the battle and who, who enter into it with us and point us to God as king. And again, we repent and say, God, you're the king. My image is not the king. My bank account is not my king. My comfort is not my king. My control is not my king. My, the way my family is, is not my king. God, you are king. My hope is not rooted in anything else but your sovereign rule. Christ, my king. When we come to that place again of really, Christ, you are my king, that even in this trial I'm in right now, that, that Jesus, you are a sovereign king. You're not pacing up in heaven, so worried about how this is going to work out. But your grace and your power, listen, his grace and power is over your life even this morning. And so we repent and we believe that he is king. We say, this is where my hope is found.